Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. Today's episode is all about Beyonce. Her new album, Renaissance, just came out, but we're looking back today. Rolling Stone just did a list of her top 70 songs of all time. And to talk about that, I have her own manca per cante. And to talk about making some of the top songs on our list, I have two legendary producers joining us, Rodney Jerkins and Scott Storch. They worked on songs including Deja Vu, Baby Boy, Me, Myself, and I, and more. But first up, here's Manka Purr to talk about putting this list together. to every Beyonce album, including Above and Beyonce, the remixes, and also consulted with a really, really talented pool of freelance writers, consulted with our, of course, incredibly knowledgeable and talented staff. And together, we all came up with a ranking that we think is pretty pretty sturdy. And I think one sign of that is that people love to find reasons to tear apart these lists and they're really struggling to do so this time around. So congratulations on that. One thing I really love about this list is the number one, which is Deja Vu. And we're hearing Rodney Jerkins, its producer, talk about that on this podcast. But it really is a Beyonce fan's pick. I think a lot of people who aren't hardcore fans might go with, say, Crazy in Love. But I think Deja Vu has always been a fan favorite. For me, when I was thinking about how a list that I believed in would be configured, so much of it had to do with what in the year 2022 do I still really, really want to listen to? And Crazy in Love is an incredible song, but I feel like it is so much of a pop culture, almost like relic, where Deja Vu is musically such a fun, beautiful, incredibly composed song. We were kind of bouncing back and forth some other number ones like Formation, but the magic of Formation is so much rooted in the moment that it created. It is a cool song. Like Mike Well Made It was one of the most prolific producers of the 2010s, having Sway Lee write with her and it being rap based, her embracing her blackness on it in this really bold way. All those things are really, really cool and important. But when we thought musically, what song speaks to what Beyonce can do from vocal performance to music videos to live performances. We remember just the moment Deja Vu really blew us away. After that is Formation. And while you just gave all the reasons why it wasn't number one, it does deserve to be number two. So maybe now that you said the negative stuff about Formation, I guess we'll switch to the positive stuff because it is a absolutely classic song, of course. I hate us corny with that Illuminati mess. Paparazzi, catch my fly and my cocky fresh. Those things that made us hesitant to make it number one are the things that make it number two. The fact that everybody can remember police wanting to boycott Beyonce after her performance of Formation at the Super Bowl that looked like an homage to the Black Panthers or at very least like a Black liberation movement. It was a new sound. It was inventive for Beyonce. Combining that rap singing style of hers into something so in your face. What I'm proud of in our top 10 is that it balances Beyonce's cultural moments, 
her vocal performances, the musical compositions of the songs, the lyrical compositions of the songs, and like gives you a, like a breath of all the things that make Beyonce great. And at number three, Crazy in Love. It's obviously a classic song. Yeah, totally. If you were to pull 10 people off the street and ask them to name a Beyonce song, seven of them are going to say Crazy in Love. That kind of ubiquity is so difficult to achieve and to maintain for what, like the song has been out now for almost two decades. And for it to still be so beloved, so well known, such a staple in her performances, in people's minds. I think that it was important to like honor Crazy in Love that way. And number four is Sorry from Lemonade. But the version we put on is from the Homecoming Live album. So Sorry becomes much more complex in its Homecoming Live performance. It was important to recognize the magic and the power of homecoming in the top 10. In Sorry, in Homecoming, she does a break that is an homage to Black collegiate or traditions. And I think her putting that in front of Coachella's audience, but then also making sure it was broadcast to the world. Like, I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing the night that Beyonce's homecoming or Beachella performance was streamed. That performance really elevated what was already a spectacular song into something that became more of like a touchstone. And number five is one of my favorites, Love on Top from the album Four. Honey, honey, I can see the stars all the And you know, it's not all about those key changes, the way it goes up and up and up, but those alone stand as some of the most amazing moments on any of her recordings. And even without that, it's just such a lush, classic, sort of throwback R&B song. The amazing thing about the key change that I learned from your incredible blurb is that she just chose to do that. That wasn't how the song was originally composed. That just kind of embodies the joy that she was able to convey in this really beautiful song. She's talking about love being put on top. And so she goes higher and higher and higher. It's just such a perfect package. And I think that this is the song to me in the top 10 that really showcases her incredible vocal ability. It shows like this evolution and like the power of her voice that has happened. Number six is me, myself, and I. And we have Scott Storch, the producer, talking about that. So many of the songs that we've discussed so far are bold and almost like brash and me myself and i think like is really good at showing beyonce performing from a place of pain i mm. think she does that really incredibly all over lemonade but this is our first introduction to that and i think that it's also really important that there is still an element of empoweredness uh in the pain that she's able to elicit in that song it's so smooth, it's so memorable off of her first album. When she performed it as a part of the Sorry Medley on the Coachella stage, it showed just how timeless of a song it is. It's also part of the sort of musical autobiography that we've gotten through her albums over the years. That song, I believe, was her reacting to a really early romantic breakup right around the time she was probably beginning her relationship with Jay-Z. So her progression through life is all chronicled in her albums. And so number seven, Partition. Oh. 
the sex that just like oozes out of this song was so confrontational. Like Beyonce, the self-titled album is another one of those moments like of which there are many in my life at this point that I remember where I was when Beyonce did some crazy shit. And so like listening to Partition and just hearing her embrace sexuality and sensuality so boldly, so clearly, you know, a little risque, almost vulgar, like that, I think it, it was a turning point for a lot of us, especially like those of us that have grown up with Beyonce alongside of her, essentially. It created one of the most memorable moments of that era. That's really interesting about growing up with her. And part of her narrative, of course, is that she was a little bit of a late bloomer in some ways. Her dad was a restrictive presence in her life in some ways, especially when it came to maybe her subject matter and some of her music. And as we were talking about her autobiography through music, part of her narrative is a little bit of breaking free of her dad and all the restrictions that he tried to put on her, although he didn't always succeed even when he was her manager. With or without that context, the embrace of freedom throughout her discography is so potent. And at number eight, Love Drought from Lemonade. Ten times out of nine, I know you're lying. And nine times out of ten, I know you're trying, so I'm trying to be fair. So this, I think, is a, an entry in the top ten that speaks to album cut fans. Lemonade, of course, was a film, so all of the songs got an incredible artistic treatment. But I love that Love Drought is like smack in the middle of Beyonce, you know, blowing her world up after the transgression of infidelity and her like kind of like more peacefully reflecting on it here. I wrote this entry and I wrote about the sort of mental math that she's doing, even with the fractions, the nine times out of 10 and the 10 times out of nine, are you lying? Are you being faithful? Are you trying? I think that that songwriting is so interesting. Sometimes songs are beautiful and then sometimes songs are really just like interesting. Like you could sit down and read the lyrics of Love Drought, like a poem, and be really intrigued. And then of course, she worked with Mike Dean, who creates this really celestial, sort of spacey sounding backdrop. This is one of my top five Beyonce songs, if I'm only thinking about me. It's showing how Throughout her albums, Beyonce is putting out superb work, like from top to bottom. I think that's an important point, actually. And the thing about Beyonce, and we were talking about this before the show started, is she has so many unreleased songs. For every song she puts out, there's a bunch of efforts that she sort of threw away. And so there's this incredibly rigorous process where every song on every album has to be of a certain level. And there's other modern artists who do that. But to me, it reminds me more of classic artists of other eras who just didn't believe in filler tracks. And she's clearly held up that standard for pretty much her entire career. We wanted to do the 70 best to honor the seventh album coming out. But I definitely hope in Rolling Stone's future, there's just like a ranking of all her songs because there are a consideration, at least, of all her songs for that very reason. I've been seeing like a lot of conversation about our lists online. And whenever somebody is like, well, why isn't this up here? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, that would make sense. That would make sense. Almost all of it, everybody's arguments make sense. Yeah, and at the same time, she clearly has Prince-level volumes of stuff in her archives, and some of that stuff has leaked online. You can find it, but it would be really interesting, obviously, to hear all that someday, and I imagine we will. But number nine, Single Ladies, and of course, as we know from Kanye, the greatest music video ever made, and I, I, won't, uh, I won't argue with that, and great song.
What's funny is that when it first came out, there were a couple people who thought it was a ripoff of Get Me Bodied, which is funny because it's kind of eclipsed that song, although that's right below it on the list as well. another one of those moments where Beyonce did something almost a little weird like the whirring of single ladies in the background is strange and it matches the robotic hand in the video it's classic but it's also contemporary it's straightforward but a little weird and I think that that's when Beyonce really can shine and I think that this is another one of those songs that is important and it's ubiquity it's one of those moments where Beyonce was the center of the world and on top of that it's a really fun song you know it's a good time it's empowering, which I think is one of the key elements of her discography. It's self-assured and it's just fun to dance to. The whole list and maybe even especially the top 10 is just a reminder of why Beyonce is Beyonce. And part of it is she is just so good at so many different things. She's equally good at these throwback, super melodic, classic R&B songs and also something as futuristic and relentlessly rhythmic as Single Ladies. And number 10 is dangerously in love. No one has found more ways to be in love than Beyonce. Crazy love, <laughs> dangerously in love, drunk in love. <laughs> when I watch her concert performances of Dangerously in Love, like where I'm in this era, and she's sweating and she's going so hard performing this ballad, it was such an early show of her being this well-rounded artist that you talked about. Like, Crazy in Love, you know, we can consider like a pop song, but Dangerously in Love, you know, is like a hardcore ballad. And I think that it's like the, the thing that we love, you know, about Dangerously in Love is the thing that some people might love about Halo. It's one of those signatures for her that has a lot of power. I think that there is more of an earnestness to Dangerously in Love than there is to Halo. Not that she's not telling the truth, but when you think about songs that really grip you in your heart, or in your stomach, like Halo, it does that because of her voice. But I think just like everything about the composition of Dangerously in Love is much more visceral to me. Halo's too pretty. <laughs> So Halo slander aside, any other fresh revelations after this deep dive into Beyonce's entire discography? I feel like this is not necessarily a fresh revelation, but a reassurance is that I wrote the intro to the list where we've published that Beyonce is essentially the greatest living entertainer. And I believe that. And I just, I see people arguing on Twitter, like, what about Taylor Swift? What about Lady Gaga? And it makes me want to giggle because I think that these are all incredible women. And I only think that we're comparing them in like the spirit of artistic critique. But I think that Beyonce could get on stage and do what Taylor Swift or Lady Gaga does. I don't think that the other two of them could get on stage and put on a show that resembles Beyonce's, if that makes sense. With the caveat, like, I know Beyonce's catalog almost front and back now in a way that I have, like, not been as inclined to discover any other artists of this era, like, megastar, you know, of this era. And I, I think that it, 
there is something really remarkable about the way, like we talk a lot about how hip hop is like pop music now. And I think that Beyonce and R&B has been pop for a long time. Like a lot of popular music has its roots in R&B, but the way that Beyonce is like a staple of hip hop and R&B culture and really made that global and ubiquitous and the center of music. I just don't think that I just don't think anyone is doing that, you know? And as much as we know about her hand in the writing of the song, the vocal production, the creative direction of one, two, what? Like several moments. Like I'm thinking of self-title dropping. I'm thinking of Lemonade dropping. I'm thinking of Homecoming dropping with no one knowing that they're coming outside of the people that signed the NDAs to work on them. When I think about people who can stop the world in its tracks with their artistry, it's hard for me to think of someone who is doing that alongside of her. And people will be like, what about Michael Jackson? And I'm like, we said living. I guess you never know what conspiracy theories they're subscribing to. Yeah, I started listing things she was good at earlier. It really was a very abbreviated list. I mean, if you look at our top 70 songs, I mean, there's a dancehall song. There's a rock and roll song with Jack White. There's a great country song with the chicks. With his gun. She started rapping in recent years, not just sort of rapping, but actually rapping. So her music is really, really diverse. I think the one point that someone brought up that made me think a little for a moment was, well, like, what about Beyonce as an actor? We're talking about entertainers. What about Beyonce as an actor? You know, sometimes she people give her a hard time for her role in Obsessed. Is that that movie where, you know, but it's like, think about Dreamgirls. That was an incredible film. Like, there, like there's nothing that she really can't do. I think the reach of music is so broad that it's hard to compare Beyonce to an actor or like a singer who can act. I mean, that feels like nitpicking. I mean, sure, Gaga has definitely had a more successful acting career than Beyonce so far, if we want to use that as the only criteria. But, you know, Beyonce was amazing in Dreamgirls. Like you said, she was great in that movie, Cadillac Records. She's only 40. She has a lot of time to do more acting if she wants. I think nitpicky is is a good way of looking at that critique. (laughs) If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, Walmart, Nike, Wine.com, Samsung, Lenovo, Sephora, and more. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use. And you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. 
And now we're going to hear from one of the legendary producers I mentioned. Rodney Jerkins has worked with Whitney Houston. It's not Michael Jackson, with Brandy, with Mary J. Blige, with Lady Gaga, and of course, with Beyonce. So... I'm hoping that I'm going to be the first one to tell you, but Deja Vu is number one on our list of the best Beyonce songs of all time. Oh, that's an amazing, 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 amazing thing. Wow. I know John John, Delisha Thomas, and Akiva are going to be really happy when I tell them that. It's funny because when you work on, when you're in the moment of something, and of course you you know you're making something magical, but you know, you don't know until the, the people are really, they have to decide what they what they like. And it's funny because I always get the deja vu reference from like Peter Edge, who's the chairman over the RCA Records. And he always talks about, we need another deja vu. Like if this artist had a deja vu, this artist had a deja vu. So I'm happy about that because that, that, that song is so musical. It was so musical, especially in the time that it came out in that mid 2000, that mid 2000 season was very hip hop dominated. To do something so musical with Beyonce and, and for it to be number one on you guys' list, it's really a special, a great feeling right now for me. Of course, it has the live bass played by John John, who you mentioned. I think it's got live horns, too. Tell me about the very first beginnings of that song. I still listen to the demo of it, actually. I just remember going to 7-Eleven. Uh, me and John John were in my car, and we were going to 7-Eleven to get like a, one of those 7-Eleven Slurpees or whatever it is. And as we were riding, we had I had already got commissioned to work on Beyonce's project. So I knew I was going to be in New York with her in the next few days working on something. Didn't know what it was going to be. So it was more so, hey, let's just work on some demo ideas to play for her. And and as we're riding to 7-Eleven, I told John John, I said, man, what if we gave Beyonce some like Michael Jackson type stuff? Because, you know, of course I worked with Michael and I'm a big Michael fan, but Beyonce was probably the only artist, female artist that were that was challenging herself in a way that Michael would. And that could really entertain in a way, right? That that just high entertainment factor. And so we were listening to the Off The Wall album. We were listening to Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. Um, different records like that was on that album. We literally, my studio was like not even five minutes from 7-Eleven. And on our way back, <laughs> we went right to the studio and I started going, dun, 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 that little guitar line, keys thing. That's a guitar sound I had on my keys. I started playing that and John and I started playing that crazy bass line. Bass. Uh. Next thing you know, it was just really between Delisha Thomas and Makiba Riddick. You know, that's when it really, the vocals and the lyrics started to just come together quickly. And then it was like, man, I wanted to give her like that Michael Jackson seven major, seven major change, that classic going to a, a seven major chord. So tonight, gotta leave the five up on the shelf and just enjoy yourself. Cause 
you know, a lot of music, a lot of music is all about just that quick four to eight bar load that just keeps going the whole way. And I wanted it to be like a journey. I wanted I wanted you to be able to listen to the instrumental and to take you on a journey. And while we were doing that, I was already envisioning like the live horns and everything because I was playing them. I was playing like synthetic horns. So I was, as I was playing the synthetic horns, I was like, I can't wait for this to be live horns. And of course, when I played it for Beyonce the first time, that's when I told her as well. I'm like, yo, I want to put live horns on this. I want to make this like really big. And she was like, let's do it. Then she came up with the whole idea of bass, hi-hats. Like she, she came up with the whole intro. It's like some James Brown, you know, <laughs> type stuff. We did the record and then I got called that Jay was going to rap on it. And I was like, what? And I had to go back to New York and next thing you know, Jay's in the booth. And he's laying down verses to it. And I was like, whoa, this is just becoming bigger than what I thought. Quit really quickly. Everything just started happening really fast. And then the rest was kind of just like, it was really history. And there was this challenging moments of that record, too. We had challenging moments where Beyonce wanted, because when I first presented the tour, there was no 808. It was literally just the, the kind of the way you guys hear it without the 808. There was a, there was a dive bass kick. And, you know, I thought that was enough. And then Beyonce was like, it needs 808 in it. And and I, and I people know, real musicians, real producers know, it's a tough task to merge an 808 with a, a live bass sound, just sonically. Basses together is tough. Basses and sub-basses and ba live basses is tough. So it's like, man, how are we going to do this sonically? They're going to rub, they're going to fight. I think I tried like something like 15 808s so I got the right one. Cause it was just, it just was not working. It was rubbing like crazy. Then I found one and the one I found, it wasn't even, it wasn't even great though, to be honest. It was like out of a 10, the one you hear in the record is probably like a six to me. It was the best, of the, it was the best of what I could find, right? It was close enough to not rubbing, but I got to give it to the engineer, the mix engineer. He figured out a way to tonally get into it and he took it to a 10. He's the one that got it sonically sounding like that they're they're working together. I mean, I was blown away at the mix down when when those two things, when that bass and the 808 was working together. I was I was really blown away by that. Everybody was. And so we we conquered that challenge. And yeah, and the rest is history. Do you remember anything else about Beyonce actually tracking that vocal? Yeah, I just remember her blowing our minds. <laughs> I do. I, I mean, I, I have the session on video, so sometimes I go back and I watch it. And I watch her in the booth, and I watch Jay-Z in the booth, and one day, I, hopefully, my documentary, The World, will get to see it. But I watch it, and it just blows my mind, because she attacks things so raw and, and in your face. You got to remember, we weren't using autotune. We had autotune, but we didn't use it on her. You know what wow. I mean? Yeah. And, and, and that's not the... It's not, type of song that's not it's intricate that song had a lot of intricate harmonies and notes that notes that were somewhat unconventional for just regular mainstream music so but she was just you know she just goes at it with such intensity i'm telling you when i work with her it's like it reminds me so much of working with michael like it was that uh -huh. same type of um she has that same type of intensity in the booth and and the thing about and the thing about her too is she pushes herself now you can push her and she wants to be pushed, but she pushes herself too because there's moments where she'll do something and it's like, it's flawless. And yet everybody in the room knows it's flawless. And she'll say, let me get that again. And you kind of look at her like, B, you nailed it. I can, be a, I can get it better. Like, really? Like, it's a 10. It's a, it's a 10. And she'll go <laughs> and she'll keep going and she kind of knows herself. She'll keep going and it could be just a little bit something extra. The same thing, maybe just a little rasp or something in it. And next thing you know, it turns into like a 13, just that quick. You're just like, whoa, she nailed it and she did exactly what she said she was going to do, right? 
do it better, but with whatever extra bite that she's giving it. And so that's the thing I've always respected about her is that, you know, she just, she knows, she knows, she knows her voice and she knows what she's capable of. What other aspects of the songs did she sort of tweak along the way? She was really happy with the demo. She loved the way it sounds. She she did tell me she was. I, I did. Um, I probably did touch the drums a little bit because I think she she wanted a little bit more um, hip hop friendly. So there's things that I you know that's just like little tweaks here and there just to make it pop in your face a little bit differently. But she wanted because she wanted that bottom end. But she wanted to dance, so she wanted to move. She wanted to make sure everything was just moving, moving, and moving. And so I was just trying to just deliver that to her. The way it's divided between Jay and Beyonce is pretty innovative, especially for the time. It isn't like Jay-Z just comes in for a bridge or something. He's really integrated in the song. In fact, you hear him first. What do you remember about making all that work? I remember when Jay first went in the booth, and he was trying to catch the, the beat, because the beat is a little unconventional, too, um, the way the kicks or not like on the one and three, it kind of changes on the second half of the second bar. First half of the second bar kind of, it pushes, the beat pushes. So he was trying to catch that rhythm. Jay doesn't write his words down on paper. He just goes in there. That's what was amazing, like just watching him. He was just sitting down in the chair, just listening to it over and over again. Next thing he knows, I'm ready. And then he went in the booth and he laid it down and it was a different rap. He laid something and he wasn't happy with it. So he went in there, he laid something completely different. He came back out. Of course, it's Jay-Z. We thought it was like, it was perfect. You know, like, yo, that's crazy. And uh, he's like, nah, nah, let me get one more. Let me get one more take at this. And then he went back in and did another, another version. What was better? That's the one you guys hear. To see him in his element was, was, was probably one of the most special moments in my career. Because, <clears> you know, it's like, you know, when you hear those stories, you know, and I had a chance to experience Biggie. I worked on um, a project that Biggie was on, and he was in the booth, so I got a chance to see Biggie work. And I got a chance to see Little I worked with Little Wayne. I got a chance to see him where those are two artists that didn't write their lyrics on paper. So I, I know that process and how difficult that must be or how gifted you must be to do that. And so when Jay did it, though, it was just like, wow. Just blew me away, man. I know a lot of people who work with Beyonce end up having songs that actually still have never come out. Yes, I do. I listen to them all the time. I listen to them. From what era? From the Deja Vu era. Yeah, from that era. From the Deja Vu era. I got like one Destiny's Child, two from the from after seeing my name, but the Deja Vu era particularly, we did we did probably, I want to say four, four or five records for that project. Yeah, so, and they rock, man. I'm like, man, if she ever wanted to put out like unreleased stuff, her fans would go crazy for those ones because they, they really do, they rock. We had a song. We had some some really good songs. Throw the title. Can't hurt. Yeah, we had a we had a song called "I Can't Go On." That was one of my "Can't Go On Without You." So that was one of my favorites out of that bunch. I think she probably has a whole box set worth of unreleased songs. I mean, think about it. They say she records. I mean, from what I heard, I've heard she records like eighty to one hundred songs every project. That's what I've heard. So I'm sure she has so many songs that she could put out for years. You did record a song with her for I Am Sasha Fierce a couple years later. Was there ever talk of getting back in the studio with her after that era, or did schedules just never work out? I did a song with Scared of Lonely. I'm scared of lonely. I try to be patient, but I'm hurting deep inside. And, I... and then we talked about getting together. It's crazy. We haven't worked together since because we definitely talked about it in 2010. We talked about working together again. Then we talked about in 2015, and we bumped on each other, and she gave me her number, and she was like, and she actually invited me to come to her house 
to come to the studio like literally that next night, but I left town and I'm kicking myself that I wasn't, you know, cause I didn't know it was gonna be that fast. And I really do want to get back in with it. I have to do it over and over again, but just one more time. Now, Say My Name is technically a Destiny's Child song, so it's not on our Beyonce list, but since you produced and co-wrote that song, I was hoping you could talk about it for a minute. I mean, that is a classic song. At this point, it feels like a Motown song or something, like it's been around forever. Yeah, I've always believed in that song. Always, from the day from day one. I've always believed, I always thought it was gonna be a, a huge hit. Even when some people didn't. Even when, you know, because when we first did it, it was a different track. It's a completely different track. The girls recorded to it, it was a completely different track. And um, when it came out, though, you just get those goosebumps about certain records. And I just kind of knew, like, man, this thing is going to be a classic, you know? And it was monumental for the girls. Because, you know, it, it wasn't just that it sold so many singles. It sold their album. Their album sold, like, 9 million after that song came out. You know, and then we won the Grammy from it. That was my first Grammy. So I'm, 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 I always tell people, they say, what's your favorite song you produce? I say my name. It was just magical. So what's next? What are you working on now? I'm finishing up Scissor right now. Just a few, just a few things. Yeah. You know, really, the few things are really cool. I keep telling her how I want to do a whole album with her. Um, you know, so hopefully one day we'll get we'll be able to accomplish that. She's one of my favorite songwriters too, as well. Right right now, and I just love the way I just like the way she approaches it. Her writing is so unconventional; it's just different compared to every artist and every writer. Just her style of writing is just different, uh, and I just enjoy working with her. I talked to her recently about getting back in. She's on tour right now, but you know we're definitely gonna get back in. What else am I working on? Really looking for artists to work with that have that special thing. Recently, there's this app we have called Protege. It's an app to help find new talent. And I'm running a competition right now on Protege. And basically, we're looking for new talent. The 10 finalists get to come and work with me for two days. And hopefully, I find something that's unique and different that I can bring on to my organization. Well, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. So finally, here's my interview with Scott Storch. Scott, of course, started out as an early member of The Roots. He played keyboards, and he went on to become one of the key producers of the early 2000s. He worked with Dr. Dre. With Christina Aguilero. With 50 Cent. Damn, baby, all I need is a little bit. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Get it cracking in the club when you hit it. Drop it like it's Nas, Snoop Dogg, Pink, and a million others. But here's what he had to say about his time with Beyonce. You had done songs for Destiny's Child, but you hadn't actually met Beyonce. The first time you met her was when you were set up in a studio with her for a week in South Beach. And in a week, you collectively came up with those three tracks that are on her debut solo album, Dangerously in Love. Naughty Girl, Baby Boy, Me, Myself, and I. So tell me about that week. How did it start? What was the first day like? You know, obviously I was a little nervous. I mean, you know, getting to know, you know, every time I'm in the studio, like, you know, getting comfortable with an artist and, and getting into the groove. Because sometimes, you know, it's like, Sometimes it's easier than others, but it happened very naturally. I had a great team. It was me, Beyonce, and Robert Waller, who's also known as a friend of mine from Philly. And then we just, we just went for it. We tried different vibes and, and uh, you know, when you're working with talented people. Sometimes it's just the vibes there. It's just lightning strikes three times in a week. 
you were actually helping out your friend EST at that point, who I guess needed some help in his career, and you told Beyonce he was already an experienced R&B songwriter, which he actually was not at that point, right? Yeah, I mean, he was definitely an incredible lyricist. I knew that, and I knew, you know, he understood song structure, but more as a rapper, and, you know, one of our forefathers of rap, and his career had taken a little hiatus, and, and I was trying to show some love, and, and I brought him in on the session, and, and you know, they stood behind my decision, and, and man, we, we, came, we ended up with, with major success. Remember which of the songs came first? If I am not mistaken, I believe it was Naughty Girl. I think it was Naughty Girl was the first one. And that's pretty characteristic of some of your other work at the time. What do you remember about just the beat coming together and the song coming together for that one? I got inspired by something like Red Method Man record that I had heard with a a guitar line in that world. And it sparked the first part of it, which was the, uh, you know, pretty much the nucleus, the funk, funk, and then I wanted to, you know, put that exotic touch and, and I was really heavily into the, you know, Middle Eastern sounding stuff at that point. And I just dove right into it and I added uh, the other melodies on top and, and, uh, and it was a movie. This was a young Beyonce at a pivotal point in her career. What was her vibe like at that point? I mean, she was very, very hands-on with everything, you know, and she was easily, you know, a huge, significant part of writing these songs with Tia. They co-wrote them essentially together, you know, equally, and had her input and, and knew what vibe she wanted and melodies, and her vocals are so strong, the execution was just impeccable. So Naughty Girl was first. Do you remember what the second one was? I believe it was me, myself, and I. I can't, don't quote me on that. It was many years ago, but it was a very heartfelt song. And, you know, I was excited that she liked it. You know, I, I was mining for, you know, tons of beats in that time. In that interval, it wasn't like we just made that one and we made three songs. We made, made a lot of, a lot of records. And, you know, you know, I believe her taste and the ones that she chose were the right ones. So in that week, you made way more than three songs. Oh, yeah, tons of songs. Many of which the world has never heard to this day. Yeah, I think there was one that was, a couple were leaked, I don't know, some, there were some other things that were heard of. Me, Myself, and I is, is more old school R&B, really melodic, great slow jam. Do you remember <laughs> just like w what the genesis of it was? I feel like that the, lyrically, what she got out of the track was, you know, definitely what she was feeling from. What, you know, the, the sound that she was hearing was like, you know, something that she guess had on her chest that she wanted to write about. And that was a great backdrop for it. And how about the, the track itself? Since those days, you know, since the early days to, to all the way to today, I always make stuff on the spot and try and like grab the attention of the artist. So, yeah, I think some of the best music comes when you're making it there. I mean, there's been exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, yeah, I, I like to tailor make stuff in the moment. So do you remember what vibe you were kind of drawing on or what inspirations for that track? I have so many different sides of what I do. And I always at that, I think even, especially at that point, I was going back into my roots, no pun intended, but <laughs> you know, in the feelings of some of these warm roads things that I was doing with the roots and these, you know, these soulful melodies on top, simple, but soulful, but always having something special to them, like, you know, back seventh and eighth bar of the cycle in the song or the loop, I do a little surprise chord transition that comes. It's like kind of an unexpected chord instead of just continuing on the same loop. It's like a nice turnaround, but takes somewhere else melodically. And I felt that had some super value into it. So 
I was definitely a, a strong fan of that that one, and I was so happy when you know she was inspired by it as well. And that's all you. That's keyboard bass. You're playing everything on that. Yeah, everything. Yeah, it feels pretty live. Thank you, thank you. You know, sometimes just for whatever reason, sometimes I would just if there was an eight bar loop, I would play it down for the four minutes. You know what I mean? So it's seamless and you feel that human feeling to it. You know? That's interesting. Did you have the masters also by the end of that week? I think there might have been a little bit of polish at it. Even on uh, on Baby Boy, I did, after the fact, I did a whole other for the video, like this Arabic section where it was like just something that was for a dance interval for the video. And it was like a whole other thing that I added. So, you know, there was some stuff that I, you know, I might have added on there, little finals. So, yeah, Baby Boy, obviously a whole different vibe. I was trying to just pull from all different influences and give each track its own identity. And these were all things that I was a fan of at that time. A lot of, you know, dance hall stuff. And, you know, it was just a nice exotic rhythm to, you know, as a backdrop for her. But we got to always remember that, you know, the singer is, is the lead of the song and the track just has to be a cool backdrop for them and, and not overwhelm the artist, but be something significant enough to be the pulse of it. At what point did you get Sean Paul? I think after a while, we realized we had something with this record and we sat down and we had a huddle and, and discussed it. And I believe if I remember correctly, it was myself that recommended Sean for the cameo on it because we were discussing different features and cameo possibilities. And, and I think I brought his name up and it, it, it happened. Jay-Z actually has a songwriting credit on that song. Do you remember what his involvement was? I mean, I believe he was going back and forth with, with Beyonce and unpinning some of that. I think there was sections of the song. Was he there in South Beach? No. no but huh. Was she texting him or something? Sure. Maybe, you know, sending the music back and forth and, and you know, listening to stuff, you know. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to have a couple of different credits with, you know, for example, with Dr. Dre and the, and the Still Dre song. You know, that was a full-on Jay-Z written top line. I know literally every time I hear that song, I try to picture Jay-Z rapping it. But what else stands out in your memory? You know what's so funny? I'm an accomplished music producer and, and, and songwriter, composer, and Beyonce asked me if I had any ideas for ad-libs. And I was just like, okay, am I going to have to like sing or something right now? And I just remember I hummed her like this one little part where in me, myself, and I, it was a little breakdown. So I don't know if you know the section where it's like, whoa, whoa. And I was kind of like my little ad-lib idea. And she took it and made a whole section out of it. And it was pretty dope that she interpreted it. Yeah. No, it's crazy to hear your little, what you do with your voice come out of Beyonce's mouth, I guess. That, <laughs> that must never get old. Yeah. Into like the talk back or whatever I was doing. I was super embarrassed, but yeah. Anything else about Baby Boy specifically that come to mind? You know what? I could say it was one of my most detailed records, I believe. Like I put a lot of work into the detail in the, some of those Arabic runs in that were not easy to play, to think of. And to, it was definitely one of my more complex arrangements out of 30 years of work and cool. something really, really proud of. Yeah, what were you listening to that brought in that Arabic influence? I don't know. I just was vibing, but, you know, I think both Timberland and I were both yes. feeling it. Like there was something in there and in the air. I don't know. So did it feel like a successful week at the end of this week? Did you have any sense like, oh man, we might've made three number one records? I mean, I was, I definitely felt there was magic made. I didn't know to what level. And uh, I didn't know, you know, it's one thing to land a song on the album, but it's another thing to get a single. 
So you never know what the singles are going to be. So the fact that I was able to get three singles on that album was, wow, what an honor. How did the fact that this was the high stakes recording for her first soul album affect everything? I think she was just really executing it right. Just killing it. You know? She knew she had her vision. And she knew what she wanted to do. When she first came in, did she express any overall vision for the whole thing? I mean, I don't think it was that, you know, I don't think she was trying to dictate things to, to the point where it was anything uncomfortable or anything. I think it was just more just like, let it happen naturally. Like, I know what you do. Let's make magic. And that was it. Mm. Sometimes labeling things and talking about it and overanalyzing things gets in the way of the job. Sometimes we don't know what's going to come out when we start playing, you know? We latch onto the things that sound good, just noodling. Beyonce was already well on her way to becoming the Beyonce we think of now. She had already had all that success in Destiny's Child. But did you have a sense that, okay, this is going to be one of the defining artists of this century. This is going to be this legend, Beyonce. Was that already clear to you? It was very clear. When I was in the studio there, I was thinking to myself so many times, this is the best singer I've ever worked with and probably will ever work with. Her vocal capability and... Like, it's just that level. There's certain, you know, there's people that I'm sure in over time that have just been blessed to be in the studio with Aretha Franklin or with Patti LaBelle or with, you know, many other of the greats. You know what I mean? Like, she's one of them. Like, one of the greatest voices of all time, I always say. One thing I'm very happy is she invited me to work with Chloe and Ailey early on, and I was able to deliver to it. which was, you know, had a Grammy nom. And, and most recently, again, with Chloe Bailey on her solo project doing Surprise. If you be good to me, then I'ma be great to you. If you stay down for me, then I'll stay awake for you. Surprise. Which is also a, a record I'm very proud of as well. The, the vibe continues, you know. Maybe hopefully one day again soon, she and I will make another hit record. That's our show for today. Rolling Stone Music Now will be back next week. You can download us wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify because that's always appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.